Welcome to the Teach the Geek podcast, where engineer and author Neil Thompson talks with STEM professionals about public speaking, a struggle for many of us. Whether you're a novice public speaker or a proficient one, you can always pick up tips on how to improve. Here's your host, Neil Thompson. Welcome to another edition of Teach the Geek interviews. My name is Neil Thompson. I am the founder of Teach the Geek. I work with technical professionals so they can present more effectively, especially in front of non-technical audiences. And you can learn more about that at teachthegeek.com. Again, that is teachthegeek.com. If you're watching this on YouTube, remember to like and subscribe to the channel. Every bit helps. And if you're listening to the podcast, a review would always be nice as well. So today, my guest is Pal Mann. He's the CEO of Engineers Nova Scotia and has had a decorated career in the Canadian government as well. So I'm really interested to dive into the work he did while in the Department of National Defense, what led him to Engineers Nova Scotia, and how public speaking has benefited him so far. So welcome to Teach the Geek Interviews, pal. Thanks very much, Neil. Very excited to be here with you. Great. So from the bit of research I did on you, I also saw that you got a degree in civil engineering. So what prompted you to get that degree? Ah, it's, it's an interesting story. I just did a, a, a talk to a bunch of university students. And part of that is what it got you interested in engineering. It's, it's a bit of a long story, but I'll try to keep it brief for you. Um, I'm, an, I'm an immigrant, came to Canada in 71. My parents were born in India, and my dad was a farmer, uh, uh, among other careers. Uh, but when we moved to Toronto, uh, he grew tomato plants in the backyard, and he grew many tomato plants. And as a young kid, I remember him teaching me how to dig these little irrigation ditches and circular paths around the plant so he could... Uh, water them from one point of contact. And so working in the mud, you know, and really looking at how we could take care of his plants and, and how he showed me how to move the earth around really generated interest in, in that, which I found out later in my life was civil engineering. So it came from the tomato plants. Wow. You have a really interesting story. My story is not interesting at all, pal. I used to lie about why I went to engineering and I did it because my father said I should when I was well, finished when I finished <laughs> high school I had no clue what I was going to do afterwards and both of my parents also went to university so they expected myself and my two sisters to do so as well and my my father said do engineering I said all right engineering it is <laughs> well that I, I would have to jump on you that too being being part of an immigrant family being a professional was somewhere in a, it was an accountant lawyer doctor engineer so I go back to the tomato plant that's probably what led me to engineering as opposed to the other professions <laughs> yeah that's a cool story you, you need to keep telling that because that's that's different from other people <laughs> other people talk about you know maybe they played with Legos when they were a kid maybe they right. were in a robotics club or something like that maybe they took apart their their parents toaster in the, in the yeah. house mother would have killed me if I took apart the damn toaster uh, I didn't touch the yeah. toaster the toaster was for toasting things <laughs> never take it apart <laughs> fair fair enough yeah. yeah so you know I, I mean I mentioned in the intro that you worked for a number of years in the in the Department of National Defense what what prompted you into that type of work and yeah, also so, what did you do when you did that yeah so um you know when we were looking at university as an option uh for us uh, my parents were you know lower middle class and so there wasn't a ton of money so I was in the uh, I was in the primary reserves of the Canadian Armed Forces at the time uh, in an engineering regiment as a, a young soldier, a part-time soldier, and then I learned about the Royal Military College, which in essence is a full scholarship if you get selected. Uh, the only uh, the only stipulation at that time was that you had a mandatory period of service after your degree. 
So I, uh, I applied for the Royal Military College, was accepted, uh, graduated in, uh, you know, the late 80s. And at that time, I thought, you know what, I'm going to do my four years of compulsory military service, and then I'm going to become a world-famous bridge engineer. Uh, I eventually ended up staying 32 years uh, in the Royal Canadian Engineers, uh, had a wonderful career in Canada and overseas. And when I started off my career, it was uh, expedient civil engineering under hostile conditions. So building roads, building bridges, and then also demolishing the same, uh, you know, with a high degree of force protection to make sure that uh, uh, you would survive to the next task. So uh, the mission I remember still, the mission of the Royal Canadian Engineers is to uh, assist friendly troops to live, move, and fight on the battlefield while denying the same to the enemy. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, wow. So you, you initially started with, with four years of mine. You ended up staying, you know, eight times as long. So oh, I'm just kind of sure, curious. Yeah. What, what, what prompted you to, to extend oh, the four years? Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, at a, at a stage where a lot of engineering graduates were looking at what their first employment was, um, I was sort of parachuted right into uh commanding a field engineer troop of 40 soldiers and having millions of dollars of heavy equipment uh, to order to achieve my tasks. And the sort of the degree of autonomy, the responsibility that came uh, with people telling you what needed to be done and why it needed to be done, and then leaving it up to you on how it uh, was to be done was something that uh, when I talked to some of my uh, high school buddies was something they weren't experiencing in their careers at that point yet. So I think the responsibility and the latitude uh, given to really grow as a leader and uh, on my technical side is what kept me going. And each year or each posting, uh, more and more responsibility and more and more challenges. So there was always something exciting to do that that kept you going on. Okay, but then after 32 years, you decided to leave. So I'm curious, what was the what was the motivation for leaving? Well, when you get when you get older, you realize that your body has now cashed a few checks that it's asking you to pay, and so as you look at across the board, uh, as you get older, uh, you know the military is a young person's game. Uh, for a, a large part of it, it takes a heavy toll on your. Uh, your family, it takes an emotional toll. Um, it also takes a physical toll. So it was it was time to go uh, in terms of what I felt I had achieved uh, and what was laying ahead of me. And there were new challenges I was looking for. There were areas that I had uh, not tried before. And uh, finding my way in the corporate boardroom was an area that really intrigued me. And I wanted to see if my skills would translate. And as you mentioned from your research, um, the, the skills, the experience that I had were really attractive to those outside of the military. So I did find myself um, moving into another job in Edmonton at first, uh, which eventually led me to Nova Scotia. Yeah, so that's, I'm, I'm really interested in, in finding out. So you leave, you leave these, this, this job, it, more, more of a, maybe a calling, really, 32 years in the, in the military to then go and work for engineering associations. So what was it about engineering associations that attracted you? Well, it's, it's interesting, you know, the, the military and, and all those that serve in those kind of capacities, uh, there's a calling, as you mentioned, it's a great word, 
there's an obligation uh, that you feel or a, a duty you feel to provide to the public, to support the public, protect the public in, in that sense. And that was a natural transition when you talk about engineering associations. Uh, the engineering associations are the licensing bodies for uh, professional engineers in Canada or PEs, as you call them down in the United States. And uh, the, the, the real role of the engineering uh, regulators is to make sure that those are granted licenses are competent and qualified to hold the license and that they remember their obligation to practice uh, the engineering in the best interests of the public. So natural segue, moving from one protecting the public uh, organization to another protecting the public organization. And I found some of the skills that I had developed later in my career as an educator, as an instructor, uh, translated really well in helping engineers to understand their obligations to practice engineering responsibly. So then when you started at working with engineering associations, what type of work did you do then? And then what type of work do you do now as the CEO of Engineers Nova Scotia? Yeah. So uh, when I first started, I, I first went into the, uh, the uh, in Alberta and Edmonton with the, the Associated Professional Engineers and Geoscientists of Alberta. I first went in as a logistician in essence. I was responsible for uh, finance, uh, information technology and human resources. But as uh, positions evolved in that organization, an opening came up for the director of professional practice who was responsible for setting the standards for continuing professional development uh, would then help to develop the practice standards and guidelines that would set the bar for ethical and responsible engineering practice. And then I was also responsible for auditing engineers to make sure that they were uh, meeting the standards uh, uh, that we expected of them or the public expected of them. So that was the, the real foundation into the regulatory part and uh, the transitioning from uniform into understanding how uh, engineers um, work uh, how they should work and what the expectations were. Uh, and then in Nova Scotia, you know, the best time to look for a job is when you're happy in your present job. You throw your job out, you throw your hat in a ring in several locations. And if people find uh, you have the skill set they want, they may invite you to join the team. So that's what happened. I was very happy in Alberta, but this opening came up that really intrigued me in Atlanta, Canada. And so I put in my application and interviewed and, and lo and behold, they thought I had the skills that they were looking for and they offered me the position. And the CEO job's different, you know, the CEO job where you're, you're not really as much hands-on. Uh, we're a small organization, so there is some hands-on for me in some degrees, but really uh, uh, it's, it's going back to that servant leadership that I remember from the military. I'm here to create the conditions for uh, those that work for me uh, for their success, whether it's time, money, uh, skill, uh, people, whatever they need. Uh, it's my job to make sure that I set the conditions for them to succeed. Excellent. Uh, I'm really glad that, that, that you're happy at, as the CEO of Engineers in Nova Scotia, but you did mention that when you, you look for a job when you already got one. So, <laughs> so what application have you put in recently, pal? <laughs> so, I've, I've moved to a different area now. I'm very content here. And, you know, uh, I'm in the later stages of my professional life. So I'm, I'm quite happy here in Atlanta, Canada. So if anybody from Engineers Nova Scotia Council is watching, no worries about that. Uh, <laughs> I've actually looked now at more volunteer opportunities. I, I've had... Uh, 
great success in uh, doing a, a very detailed directorship course uh, through one of the institutes here in Canada, the Institute of Corporate Directors. So now I'm looking to transition some of the skills that I've gained over my lifetime uh, to participate in uh, councils and boards uh, for other bodies that may need uh, strategic uh, advice or counsel as well. So being the head of an engineering association, what are the differences between that type of role and being the head of a unit in, in, in the military? Oh, well, um, obviously, uh, the approaches are slightly different in some sense. You know, the military is very mission focused and sometimes uh, the mission uh, is paramount. And sometimes you have to really make some very, very tough decisions that affect people personally in order to achieve the mission. I think in, in the world of regulation um, right now, it, it's not as critical or the impact on, on an individual's life is not as severe. And I find the time uh, expectations or the, or the time resource that we have allows for much more consideration and collaboration with stakeholders than some of the missions that I had in the military. Not all of them. I mean, in the military, uh, uh, lots of collaboration uh, when time permitted. Uh, but I find that sometimes time was short in the military. But I find that those skills that I learned in the military on how to talk to people, how to listen to people, how to understand what people need, how to gain consensus are all skills that I use as a CEO right now. And I think the challenge is often uh, having that, that healthy debate and making sure that people, uh, you've heard all they have to offer before you make a decision. Uh, and I think that's really key in both roles. So uh, other than the fact that I, I don't have to dress in green every day. Uh, it's pretty much the skill sets translate uh, pretty consistently. Nice. Do you think that leaders should have their own leadership style or should they lead based on how the people under them want to be led? Oh, well, that's, uh, you know, it takes a lot of leadership studies here. And I, I think it's important for a leader to develop their own leadership style. Um, but that leadership style has to really take into account uh, some of the the things that the people below you need and I've done a lot of reading in this sense you know one of the famous tools that we had in the military and and others have in in the corporate world is the leadership philosophy so I have really thought about a leadership philosophy and I've written it down and I've shared it with my whole team so they understand uh, what's important to me and how I work uh, I'm an empathetic leader you know, I believe that uh, emotional intelligence is really important so that you can understand the perspectives and see problems from the uh, viewpoints of those who are looking to solve them. And I'm also a you know, transformational leader. Uh, I believe it's really important that people uh, get satisfaction out of the work they do. And uh, the philosophy that I use, as I mentioned, uh, I grew up with, uh, I'm all about telling people um, what we need to achieve and why we need to achieve it, and then working with them to provide them the resources uh, and they can figure out how to uh, achieve it. You know, there's lots of ways to solve problems. Pal has one way, uh, but I have a team of 13 people and there's 13 creative ways to uh, solve any problem. And my, my, my goal is to support uh, whichever one of those 13 we choose, which is not necessarily mine at all. Yeah. Well, that's yeah. great that you even think that way, pal. And especially if 
someone chooses a way that you that didn't come from you wouldn't have been a way that you approached it and it doesn't work hopefully yeah. you don't come back and say well you didn't do it the oh, way no. I, I thought you should have done it no. so, well, I <laughs> so mean, you know, this this is one of those things that uh, i've been fortunate enough of well i i've there are times when mistakes are not possible you know obviously or, or mistakes that the result of a mistake is is can be quite catastrophic but uh, that's one of the beauties of the job that i have right now is that we can learn and a learning environments. Uh, a big part of my leadership style is uh, giving people uh, a chance to grow. And sometimes that growth happens from doing things really well. But I find the most growth happens when we things don't go according to plan. Uh, and you can remember even from your childhood, you know, your best lessons you ever learned is when things went awry. And I think uh, creating an environment where we can try things, uh, and if they didn't come out the way we wanted them, we can step back and we can address them and correct them. But more importantly, we can learn from them. And I don't and it want my uh, team to ever stop trying because they're afraid it will go wrong. We always want to uh, expand that bubble and, and grow and learn. Yeah, absolutely. You know, when you were talking, pal, it reminded me of the the idea of psychological safety. And I'm not sure if I am I'm getting it right, but from what I understand, it means that you have the 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 freedom to to do things and not be worried that if it doesn't work out that you're going to face some sort of, of negative action because of the fact that it didn't yeah. work out. Although I will say if you if you're if you're doing things and it's, it's kind of similar and you're getting the same negative response, you, you, you're not you don't seem to be learning all that much. <laughs> That's right. Well, yeah, you know, we were always told uh, mistakes are okay but don't make the same mistake twice. No but doubt. sometimes it takes a little, sometimes it takes a few iterations. So, I mean, we talk it all through and, and I think that every, every area where you may have stumbled is a potential area of growth. And we just need to uh, work on that and see if we can develop the skills or the approach that uh, will lead to success the next time. Yeah, absolutely. Can I tell you a story, pal? Sure. So during my second job, I was working as a product development engineer. And at least that's what they told me during the, 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 the job interview. And that's what it was for the first six months. And then my boss called me into his office and said I was going to be a project lead. And I didn't even know what that meant. But apparently <laughs> it meant that I was going to have to get up in front of management every month and talk about project progress. I said, ain't that a project manager's job? Well, no, we ain't got no project managers here. So <laughs> <laughs> we ain't hiring them. That's what you, that's where you come in. So I got to do product development stuff as an engineer. And I got to get up in front of these CEO, CTO, CMO, CFO on the blank O's. And they said, yeah, hey, you're going to do that every month. And when I first started doing that, pal, let me tell you something. Those those presentations were absolutely horrendous. I, I didn't yeah. know it was possible to sweat that profusely from one's body. <laughs> it was just dripping from everywhere. It's it gross. And I noticed yeah. all the other engineers, they weren't all that much better at it than, than I was. So at least I wasn't alone. But when I first when I first know you know, noticed the fact that I was wet in the bed during these presentations on a consistent basis. So I I, I wasn't learning the lessons. <laughs> I wasn't learning yeah. the lessons, pal. But, <laughs> but eventually I got this, I got the hint that this is something that I need to get better at. So when it comes to even your own journey, pal, communicating with others, is that something you've always been good at? And if not, what'd you do to get better at it? Uh, well, I don't think I was always good at it. I mean, uh, I talk about the expectations that your parents have of you when you're long, younger. Uh, my dad was a big one for um, having us, the kids, I have a brother and sister, journaling 
and reading out our journals at the end of the day to uh, share our day as a, as a family activity. So that whole prospect of writing something and then having to speak about it uh, is something that I was doing ever since I was a kid. So I suppose I, I developed a skill, even though standing in front of my brother, my sister, my mom and dad, telling them what I did on the day uh, may have not been as comfortable as I hoped. I think public speaking for everyone is is always a challenge. You know, you're putting yourself out there and you're very vulnerable. And I think it's that vulnerability that has a lot of people worried about. What if I make a mistake? Um, a lot of it, a lot of the success or comfort that people have uh, public speaking is driven by the environment that they're in. And then, as I said, if you have a psychologically safe space, it's obviously going to make things much more comfortable. But, you know, I found uh, a couple of things um, uh, that have helped me over the last little while is uh, realizing that when I have a chance to speak publicly, I have an a chance to share my ideas or my knowledge or to educate or inform. And I think one of the key things that's helped me uh, through my public speaking career is really sitting back and thinking about what is the purpose that I am I, I am here for? What is it I'm trying to achieve? Am I trying to entertain people? Am I trying to inform people? Am I trying to educate people? And really understanding what is the aim of the talk. And then once I figure out what the aim of, of the talk is, developing those bullets uh, that will help me get to that purpose is, is really important. And so lots of people have lots of different styles. Uh, lots of people like to write a script down and, and recite the script, uh, you know, spending uh, a fair amount of time looking down at a piece of paper. There's a time and place for that. But I find my best public speaking happens when I just rely on simple bullet points. What is it the points that I want to achieve, because it's already in my head what I want to say about those points. I don't need to read about the text. Uh, so that keeps me on time. It keeps me uh, on script, so to speak. And it allows me to be more natural. It allows me to engage with my audience, you know, look in their eyes. Are they understanding what I'm saying? Are they confused by what I'm saying? Is what I'm saying uh, going over well or not? And I think that's the really important part for most public speakers uh, is really keeping that contact with your audience. Because if you're losing contact with the audience, you need to find some way to engage with them. And that's hard to do if you're staring down at a script on a podium. Well, 100%. You know, when you were talking, yeah. pal, you mentioned your, when you were younger, having to journal and, and tell your, your family about it. It reminded me when I was younger, my father said I had to learn to type. And you know that man can't type? <laughs> He can't type to save he his can't life. Type? No, no, to save his life. Oh. But, he, but that's he why insists. he has a son. Yeah. So he, I remember, I remember it was the summer after seventh grade. He said that I had to learn how to type. No, before seventh grade. And I had to learn how to type. So every during the summer. So all the kids outside playing, I had to be inside with my with my computer. I, I I had to go, I got a book at the library called Touch Typing Made Simple. I still remember the book. I still remember the name of the book. And I yeah. I, I, I would have to show him. At the end of the day, all the all the all words the that I type, yeah, yeah. So while you were busy, you know, journaling yeah. and, and telling your parents what you did for the day, I was showing my father A B A That's B good. over again. Well done. <laughs> now you must be a brilliant typist. Oh man, I could have been a secretary. <laughs> <laughs> this whole, if this whole engineering thing don't work out, man, I could be uh, an admin. No you problem. There you go. Well, there you go. Yeah. It's always good to have a backup. No doubt. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I certainly take your point about not memorizing or, yeah, not memorizing presentations or or not only that, but actually reading them out. 
because you're yeah. right. When you read them out, you're looking down at, at your at your at what you're reading, and you're not looking at people. And when you're not yeah. looking at people, then they're probably not going to look at you. And if they're not looking That's at right. you, they're probably not going to listen to you. And then if they're not listening to you, then what the hell is the point of you reading anything? That's the <laughs> you know, great chain of events there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's agreed. I, I've always found that you know um, being natural up there, and that—that's another thing. I don't—I don't like to be behind a podium. I like to walk to the left and the right. I'm a bit of a walker on that one, and I think the more you walk around, the more you look at people, the less it feels like public speaking, and the more it feels like a conversation. And we're all good at conversations. Oh, 100 percent. Yeah, at least you would hope so, unless you oh, just yeah. <laughs> you got social problems. But uh, other, right. other than that, yeah, we most yeah. of us should be able to, to, to talk to talk to people regularly. Although I will say when it comes to giving presentations, do you ever get nervous? And if so, what do you do to deal with your nerves? Oh, yeah, I think I think everyone gets nervous. There's that sort of butterflies when you go up. I remember, you know, I played a lot of sports. It's no different than the opening face-off drop or the kickoff uh, before an event, you always feel a little nervous. But that nervous energy is good because it means you're engaged and you're excited about the event. Um, uh, I, I think that uh, when you come up to uh, a group, uh, normally that first little icebreaker part is kind of important to me. And, you know, you, you read a lot of things, say, make a joke, but it doesn't necessarily have to be a joke. You know, it can just be that first bit of casual interaction with people when you're introducing yourself or you're introducing your topic, you know, before you get into the meat of your presentation. It's an uh, ability uh, or it, taking the opportunity for people to really understand you better than just the words they've read in the program of who's speaking, but really to introduce yourself. And that's a topic, you know, that we all know well who we are. Uh, just using that to really break the ice to get in the mode before you get into your uh, your topic really sets you at ease because it's a very comfortable topic and it's easy to say. You probably won't stumble over your words when you introduce yourself in any degree like that. But uh, it, it's a nice transition from being off stage uh, to getting into the meat of the presentation, just talking about yourself and, and what you do. Yeah, I, I, I fully agree with that, pal. And I take your point that nerves are normal. I've actually had yeah. some guests, very few, who said that they don't get nervous before presentations. Mm. Every time they say that, I think to myself, either you're a liar or you're not very self-aware. <laughs> Perhaps. I mean, you know, I would hate to call anyone a liar because yeah. I'm not that way. But I guess the, you know, we all manifest the nerves in different ways. Some people are leg shakers. Some people are excessive sweaters, you know, <laughs> so you, you get whatever you want. Me, uh, I, I feel I feel I sort of feel it as a tingly tingly in my stomach, you know, that's, that's, kind of, and I know I'm, I, I can't say I'm ever, I was nervous before I came out and talked to you, even though I was looking forward to it. You know, it's just one of those natural things. I think it's your body preparing to perform as well. Yeah, hundred percent. And when I think about it, it's, if you're nerves, if you're nervous, it's a sign that you actually care about the outcome. Right. If, if, yeah. if you don't, if you don't care, then maybe, you, maybe you're not all maybe, that nervous. Maybe, maybe. Yeah, fair, and if that's fair enough. And if that's the case, then that I don't even want to talk to you. Then I don't want you talking to me. <laughs> it, it is. <laughs> Damn it, be nervous. You're supposed to be yeah, nervous for sure. Yeah. <laughs> so for the people who are listening or or watching this conversation, pal, and they want to get better at giving presentations or public speaking in general, what number one tip could you offer them? Yeah, you know, wow, there's so many different tips that are out there. You know, how do you encapsulate that? I, I think the um, I think the number one tip 
that I would give people is to really go back to what I said earlier. Understand the reason you're talking to people. What is it you're trying to do? Uh, like I said, is it educate them? Is it inform them? Is it to entertain them? Is it to make them think? And always stay on that message. Uh, we have a tendency sometimes to doubt ourselves when we're giving out a message and we're not sure whether our message is being received. And then we end up going into tangents that we're unprepared to go to and we can lose track of, of what we want to say or, or what we are saying. I think keeping on purpose, remembering what your purpose is and always drawing back to that uh, will keep you true, uh, will keep your thoughts flowing in the right direction and will hopefully resonate with the audience as well. Excellent. Well, this has been a great conversation, pal. Thank you so much for being a guest. How can people get in touch with you? Well, they can reach me at info at engineersnovascotia.ca. We're on the website engineersnovascotia.ca lots of contact information there i'm also on linkedin uh, with my full name darminder pal sing man uh, pal being my short name but reach out um i am uh, i'm a friend with you neil on linkedin so i'm sure they can find me through your contacts as well if they needed to Excellent. Well, everyone, that marks the end of another edition of Teach the Geek interviews. My name is Neil Thompson. I'm the founder of Teach the Geek. I work with technical professionals so they can present more effectively, especially in front of non-technical audiences. And you can learn more about that at teachthegeek.com. Again, that's teachthegeek.com. Until next time, take care and stay safe. Thanks, pal. Thanks very much, Neil. Be safe. Well, everyone, that marks another episode in the can. I hope you enjoyed it. If you like these episodes and want to support Teach the Geek, please subscribe, share, and like on any of your favorite podcast platforms. Or on all of them. Also, if you prefer to watch the episodes, head on over to the YouTube channel at youtube.teachthegeek.com. Until next time.